0: This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hi, it's Jen. Before we get started, I just want to note that this story is moving very quickly. You'll get the latest at your NPR station or npr.org. The fight over mifepristone continues. That's a pill commonly used in miscarriage care and in most medication abortions in the U.S. The Food and Drug Administration approved it more than 20 years ago, but last week, Matthew Kazmarek, a Trump-appointed federal judge in Texas, issued a preliminary injunction that revoked the drug's FDA approval, effectively making it illegal nationwide. An appeals court temporarily paused part of his ruling, but not all of it. Mifepristone will remain available according to its approval status 23 years ago, but expanded access the FDA approved in recent years will be nullified when Judge Kasmarek's injunction takes effect tomorrow. Soon after the Texas ruling, Thomas Rice, an Obama-appointed federal judge in Washington state, ordered the FDA to maintain access to Mifepristone. What do these conflicting rulings mean, and what about the other laws states are passing to restrict abortion access? I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We break down the legal framework of abortion regulation right after this. FX is clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. On
1: this week's Wildcard, we talk with Issa Ray about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction.
0: Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all.
1: But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Ray tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wildcard Podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the
0: conversation. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Former President Trump is in serious legal trouble. And at the same time, he wants his old job back. It's a really big story. But with different trials in multiple states, plea deals, testimony, gag orders, it's also really hard to follow. So we created Trump's Trials, a new NPR podcast where we break down the big news from each case and talk about what it means for democracy in weekly episodes. I'm Scott Detrow. Check out Trump's Trials from NPR. Let's get into the latest on abortion access. Joining us from Virginia is Sarah McCammon. She's a national correspondent at NPR. Sarah, it's always great to have you. Yeah. Hi, Jen. Thank you. Also with us is Leah Littman. She's a law professor at the University of Michigan and co-host of the podcast Strict Scrutiny about the Supreme Court. Leah, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Sarah, for those who aren't familiar with the Texas case, what are the arguments on both sides? Sure.
1: So this all started back in November of last year when anti-abortion groups sued uh, the FDA. And their primary argument is that the FDA improperly approved mifepristone back in 2000. They also object to some of the subsequent rule changes you mentioned that the FDA has made that have had the effect of expanding access to this drug over time. Um, You know, I think it's important to Keep in mind that most abortions, the the majority in the U.S., are now uh, done with medication abortion and that the vast majority of those use mifepristone. That is the preferred protocol among the medical community here in the U.S., Back in 2000, when the drug was first approved, there were there was a lot of political controversy around it. That's never fully gone away. And um, this group, it's a group of um, uh, doctors and physicians and medical groups who oppose abortion rights. They brought this lawsuit seeking to overturn the FDA approval. They want the drug taken off the market. And, you know, they object to some of the details of the approval process the um, argument from the FDA's lawyers uh, they're being represented by the Department of Justice the Biden administration is that you know first of all this um, this drug was approved through uh, a rigorous process many years since more than two decades since of uh, repeated studies have have suggested a very strong safety record it's been used by some five million people now and they point out that really to for a judge to revoke an FDA approval in this way as this judge um, is is trying to do, is is unprecedented and um, raises a whole host of questions, not only about reproductive rights, but at, about FDA authority in general.
0: Well, late yesterday, as we said, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals temporarily halted part of Judge Kaczmarek's ruling. Leah, explain their decision and the effect it'll have on access to mifepristone.
2: So what the Fifth Circuit said is that the plaintiffs had brought their challenge to the FDA's original approval of mifepristone too late. The FDA approved mifepristone back in 2000, and ordinarily plaintiffs are supposed to bring these challenges within five or so years. And because they didn't do so here, um, they couldn't now challenge this approval of mifepristone more than two decades after the fact. So the plaintiffs were limited to challenging the 2016 regulations that altered the conditions under which the FDA had said if pristone could be prescribed. Um, specifically, what the court did is it altered the FDA's guidance that there need only be one in person appointment in order to get mifepristone. Previously, the FDA had required three. Um, As well, the FDA used to um, indicate that mifepristone could be used up to seven weeks after a person's last period, whereas in 2016, it indicated it could do so up to 10. And so what the Court of Appeals did is it said those... Relaxed restrictions no longer apply and basically reverted the FDA back to the pre-2016 regime that applied to mifepristone, thereby restricting continued access to mifepristone after the decision.
0: Now, when the FDA expanded access to mifepristone, what did they base that expansion on?
2: Several decades of studies indicating just how safe mifepristone is. You know, in the more than two decades that mifepristone has been in use, more than five 5 million women have used it. The rate of complications, severe complications from mifepristone is about equivalent to ibuprofen. It's safer than Viagra, um, and it's much safer than pregnancy. And so the FDA was relying on several independent clinical studies, um, use of mifepristone in other countries, all of which indicated mifepristone is extremely safe and that the additional restrictions that the FDA had imposed on mifepristone using its accelerated process to add those additional restrictions were, in fact, not warranted and really not required in order to ensure the safety and efficacy
0: of the drug. Okay, now, Sarah, hours after Casmerich's ruling last week in Texas, federal judge Thomas Rice ordered the FDA to maintain access to mifepristone in a separate case in Washington State. What was the argument in that case?
1: Right. So this was a lawsuit that was brought by 18 attorney attorneys general, 17 states and the District of Columbia. These are Democratic attorneys general. And the objective of their case was to expand access to Mifepristone in part by relaxing some of the restrictions that Leah was just talking about, you know, the long safety record and the many years of use of this, this pill, um, widespread use. That's something that these attorneys general Pointed to, They asked the judge in Washington state, again, also a federal judge, to um, essentially uh, order the FDA to relax some of those restrictions. This is something, by the way, that medical groups have been calling for for a long time. Um, and they asked, and this is kind of the key thing at this point, they also asked the judge to order the FDA to do nothing to disrupt access to mifepristone. Um, they basically won on that piece of their uh, request And so, as you said, just after the Texas judge issued his ruling, uh, the judge in Washington issued a ruling that really points in the opposite direction, setting up a lot of questions, uh, particularly for those 17 states and D.C. that are part of that case about what laws are in effect right now. And the Biden administration has asked the court, the court in Washington, to clarify uh, what it thinks, you
0: know, how it thinks that tension should be resolved. Well, Leah, is there a precedent for this sort of me- legal situation where it's just unclear what rules states need to adhere to.
2: There isn't an exact precedent for this situation, although in some previous immigration cases, you know, courts have arrived at different conclusions about whether particular policies could be continued, should be continued, must be continued. Um, for example, when the Biden administration attempted to end the Trump administration's remain in Mexico policy or the Title 42 expulsions from the border in light of the COVID pandemic, there were some conflicting court decisions about whether the policies could be ended and under what conditions, But the lower courts essentially sorted this out among themselves, um, whereas now it appears that the Fifth Circuit has Upheld, you know, Judge Kasmerick's ruling in a way that puts it into conflict and in considerable tension with the district judge's opinion in Washington. Now, the district judge in Washington indicated that that ruling was limited to the handful of states led by attorneys general that had actually filed the litigation in that case. Um, on the other hand, you know, Judge Kasmerick's ruling and now the Fifth Circuit purports to apply on a nationwide basis, and so these rulings are in considerable tension, and that makes the case for the United States. Supreme Court's review of this matter, all this, you know, stronger.
0: We got this email from Jay who asks, What else is mifepristone used for and how are people going to be affected if it's limited? Sarah, give us a sense of the stakes in, in this case. As of right now, what does it mean if doctors aren't able to prescribe this medication for their patients?
1: It's used for a couple of different purposes. Um, It's used to treat something called Cushing syndrome, and that's pretty um, cordoned off from from this conversation because, as I understand it, that's manufactured separately. Um, It's a little bit of a different um, formulation of the drug. Uh, But what is relevant is it's also used in addition to inducing abortion, uh, usually in the first trimester, It's also used for miscarriage management. So, you know, if a woman's having a miscarriage and it's not fully completed, um, mifepristone can be used to help essentially expedite that process, um, move her body along, and it's something that, you know, many patients choose uh, to sort of ease that difficult process. you know, the, the plaintiffs have argued that this wouldn't have any bearing on that kind of use, but I think, um, you know, it's really unclear how that will look if, if this drug truly ends up being uh, difficult to produce and distribute ultimately. Um, But in terms of the the broader stakes, as we mentioned earlier, medication abortion is the dominant form of abortion. According to the Guttmacher Institute, it's around 53, 54 percent of abortions in the U.S. um, as of last year. And a lot of people think that number is rising as uh, abortion restrictions have taken effect in so many states in the last several months. And again, about 98 percent, according to Guttmacher, of those medication abortions Involve this pill, this protocol that begins with mifepristone and then is followed by another drug, misoprostol. Um, So it's pretty safe to say that most abortions in the U.S. or a majority use mifepristone. Um, And you know, many patients prefer medication abortions. They can um, be they can be done at home to some degree, and uh, for some people, especially earlier in pregnancy, that's
0: a preferred option rather than having a procedure. Right, and and to be clear, in the case of miscarriage, if The miscarriage doesn't clear the body on its own. Then the alternative is a DNC, a dilation and curatage, which is a medical, surgical procedure. Well, next, we talk about the regulatory future of Mifepristone. Back with more in a moment. Trials in multiple states, state and federal charges, plea deals, witness testimony, gag orders. The trials of former President Trump are really hard to keep straight. And that's why we created Trump's Trials, a weekly podcast where we break down the biggest news from each of his legal cases and what it all means for democracy in about 15 minutes. I'm Scott Detrow. Listen to Trump's Trials from NPR. Hey there, this is Felix Contreras, one of the co-hosts of Alt Latino, the podcast from NPR Music where we discuss Latinx culture, music, and heritage with the artists that create it. Listen now to the Alt Latino podcast from NPR. Back to the conversation by adding a new voice. Elizabeth Sepper is a law professor at the University of Texas at Austin and a scholar of religious liberty and health law. Liz, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Janine emails, I do not understand how one judge in one state can overturn a scientific process. He's not a physician, researcher, or scientist. What are his qualifications to disallow a drug? Elizabeth, can you, can you speak to that issue?
3: Yeah, so it's not a coincidence that the plaintiffs here filed before Judge Kaczmarek. Uh He's in a single-judge district, meaning they knew they had a 100% chance, a certainty of, of drawing him to hear their lawsuit. Um, his history is also with the conservative Christian legal movement bringing claims that are anti-abortion, um, anti-gender-affirming sort of care. And so in his decision, um, he doesn't he purports to be concerned about the FDA's overlooking of scientific evidence, right? He draws on For instance, a purported study from a website called abortionchangesyou.com, a blog where anonymous comments uh, say that abortion changed them. Um, But that's not a scientific study. Uh, It it doesn't have any of the protocols we would expect from good science. Um, So it is concerning to see a single judge uh, overstep in this way and attempt to stay a drug that's been on the market for decades now.
0: Well, the DOJ appealed the Texas decision to the U.S. Appeals Court. The next move there is the Supreme Court. Leah, what about the Washington state case? Is that also being appealed?
2: So right now, the Biden administration has filed a request to clarify the scope of the Washington court's injunction, asking that court to provide it with some additional guidance about what exactly the court is prohibiting them from doing or not doing so that the department can assess how to reconcile possibly these two injunctions. I think it's also important to underscore that while Judge Kazmieric's ruling was pretty bonkers and a wild assertion of authority as Professor Sepper noted, it's also what the Fifth Circuit did. Like they too claimed the authority to second guess the FDA's determinations about the kind of conditions under which mivipristone can be prescribed. So while this modified ruling is less, let's say, consequential um, than a ruling attempting to revoke the FDA's approval of mifepristone at all, it too asserts that courts, rather than the FDA, get to decide which drugs are safe and under what conditions they can be prescribed.
0: I want to go back to our voicemail box. We got this message from Tracy in Florida. I'm extremely concerned at what's happening with reproductive rights in this country. This latest ruling from the activist judge in Texas is just another example of the far-right Christian fundamentalists imposing their personal religious views on the sacred reproductive rights and fundamental body autonomy of women. Um, And it's time that women vote these people out. Thanks for that message. Uh, Now, Tracy mentioned voting people out, but it's important to note how federal judges actually get on the bench. Liz, explain that process.
3: So federal judges are uh, appointed. Um, They go through a process uh, in the Senate um, to receive consent to their appointment, um, and they serve for uh, life. So they have life tenure. They can't be voted out uh, the way that certain state court judges can, um, and they don't face elections. And the Trump administration, uh, with input from the Federalist Society, which is dedicated to the goal of creating an extremely radical conservative federal judiciary, appointed a lot of judges, both to the district court and court of appeals, and of course the Supreme Court And most of those judges are quite young, so they have many decades ahead of them on the federal courts.
0: Sarah, you mentioned how uh, where you live really affects how you're affected by these rulings. How are states reacting to the coming restrictions on Mifepristone? attorney general lawsuit um, from 17
1: states in the District of Columbia who are trying to push in the opposite direction of this Texas lawsuit, trying to expand and preserve access to abortion pills. Another step that a few states have taken is to actually stock up on abortion pills So um, in recent days, uh, at least four states have said, um, you know, led by Democratic governors have said they're doing that. Massachusetts and Washington are stockpiling mifepristone. Uh, Washington, for example, says they have enough for three to four years. um, And they did that kind of through an innovative approach using the Department of Corrections pharmacy license to buy uh, about 3,000 doses. And then uh, university also purchased, uh, I think, about 1,000 more uh, then um, New York and California have stocked up on misoprostol, which is that second pill in the two-drug protocol we've been talking about. So again, normally with the FDA-approved protocol that's used in most medication abortions in the U.S., uh, the person takes mifepristone first, followed by misoprostol. Mifepristone sort of blocks the hormones necessary to sustain pregnancy. Misoprostol helps um, bring on, um, you know, the end of the pregnancy, the delivery, essentially. And that drug is used in a lot of other sort of gynecological purposes uh, in addition to abortion and miscarriage management, but it can be used alone for abortion and is used worldwide. The World Health Organization has endorsed misoprostol alone as a viable protocol. Quite a few providers around the country have said they're looking at that as a next step if necessary, but New York and California specifically stocked up on a supply of that
0: drug. This week, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra said, quote, nothing is off the table to protect reproductive rights. He spoke with CNN on Sunday. First and foremost, when you turn upside down the entire FDA approval process, you're not talking about just mif- mifepristone. You're talking about every kind of drug. You're talking about our vaccines. You're talking about insulin. You're talking about the new Alzheimer's drugs that may come on. If a judge decides to substitute his preference, his personal opinion, For that of scientists and medical professionals, what drug isn't subject to some kind of legal challenge? So we have to go to court, and for America's sake and for women's sake, we have to prevail in this. We got this email from Jim who says, The Texas ruling against against the FDA was extreme, but isn't there a more serious question about whether the FDA's authority to regulate drugs like mifepristone can preempt state regulation of medical procedures like abortion? If so, whether it has... Uh, Liz, I'm going to come to you on that one.
3: Sure. Um, so, under our constitution, federal law is supreme. So, the FDA, the Food and Dr- Food Drug and Cosmetics Act, actually preempts lots of state law, um, including, for instance, tort liability around uh, products uh, defects. So. Um, the fact that federal law is supreme is protected by, it's part of our constitutional structure. Now, this ruling um, stands to undermine the authority of the federal agency, but also federal a- uh, access to uh, mifepristone. Um, and the FDA is considered the gold standard in pharmaceutical innovation. So we're now seeing many of the biotech companies, hundreds of them now, um, expressing real concern that All sorts of drugs could be subject to challenge um, by groups who don't want them approved, right? Simply on the notion that someone somewhere experienced a side effect that a doctor might have to treat.
0: Another of you asks, what about the ramifications of this new ruling from the Fifth Circuit for birth control? In recent years, the FDA has also issued updated guidelines on various birth control methods, including the IUD. Is birth control next? Leah, what are you watching from a legal perspective about what these rulings mean for other medications, specifically birth control? I
2: think it's extremely likely that these rulings are likely to lead to additional challenges and decisions that will restrict access to other forms of medication as well. Um, you know recently a district judge in Texas invalidated the Affordable Care Act's you know preventative care um, uh, regime that required insurers to offer coverage for prep drugs you know that um, prevent and guard against the risk of acquiring HIV. Judge Kesmirik, the district judge in this case had previously, um, issued a ruling that limited access to contraception services under the Family Planning Federal Program for minors. Um, the federal law that the district judge in this case and Court of Appeals relied on, the Comstock Act, restricts you know not just abortive fashions, um, but also you know other items that might be used in lewd and lovicious ways. And, you know, that act um, could also be applied to contraception. Um, so I think it's extremely likely that this is not going to stop with abortion, um, you know, After 2016, the FDA approved other drugs under, you know, new and different circumstances, including COVID drugs, you know, in response to the pandemic. And so nothing is going to stop this case just on the issue of abortion or limited just to those circumstances.
0: Janet in Virginia left us this message.
3: My mother had an abortion. I had an abortion. And I'm very concerned that the state of Virginia may take steps to outlaw abortion, and I'm concerned that my daughters, who are in their 20s, may be sacrificed on the altar of right-wing extremism because Virginia legislators do not understand basic reproductive biology, they do not understand miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy, and I'm afraid that my daughters will not get sufficient medical care should they become pregnant intentionally or unintentionally. And I would advise them, if they got pregnant, to move out of the state of Virginia if our legislature tries to do extreme things to outlaw abortion or access to mifepristone and misoprostol.
0: Sarah, you've talked to people who are affected by these restrictions on abortion, and specifically how it affects miscarriage care. What have you learned? Right. Um, you know,
1: as we've mentioned, the the this drug, mifepristone, it's um, FDA approved for use for abortion care, but it's also widely used uh, to help people who are experiencing miscarriages. Um, de- depending on the circumstances and the gestation, sometimes uh, miscarriage care requires a surgical procedure uh, to, you know, remove the contents of the uterus to complete the miscarriage. Um, you know, that's for the woman's health and safety. And something that mifepristone can do is sort of expedite that process and prevent the need for a surgical procedure. So it's often prescribed by doctors, um, you know, in that situation where someone's experiencing a miscarriage. And, you know, in other countries, I've, I've reported along with colleagues on the fact that in Canada, it's, you know, it's much easier to get access to this drug for for both abortion and miscarriage. Um, but people here, you know, until uh, very recently, and, and even to a certain extent now, have had to go through the same protocols, um, you know, whether they're seeking an abortion or dealing with a miscarriage. It, it's, it's a heavily regulated drug. There are layers of restrictions on mifepristone above and beyond uh, typical prescription drugs. The Biden administration had eased some of the those, as had the Obama administration. But you know, once again, this
0: court ruling overnight uh, puts a lot of that back in place. We got this question from Erin who asks, when I hear that you can't mail these drugs, is that because they're being sent using a federal mailing system? Can you use a private delivery like DHL or any of the other types of systems that deliver without using the federal mail system? Liz?
3: It applies both to U.S. mails and to common carriers uh, generally. Um, though during Anthony Comstock's uh, time, postal inspectors were sent out everywhere to comb through the mail and try to identify who was receiving information about contraceptives or abortifacients or those devices. So you could imagine under a different um Uh, presidential administration, uh, the use of postal inspectors, again, to try to ferret out who is receiving medication abortion through
0: the mail. So because of these two competing rulings in Washington State and Texas, it's likely that this issue will end up before the Supreme Court fairly soon. Sarah, what path could it take to get there? And are we talking two separate Supreme Court cases or one that would speak to both rulings?
1: Well, the Department of Justice uh, could appeal this stay if they so choose to the Supreme Court, um, considering that it it does considerably roll back uh, the current state of mifepristone access. Theoretically, the alliance, the plaintiffs group, could appeal it too. If um, you know the the fact that it says that the statute of limitations is up for the 2,000 FDA approval, um, that is a loss for these groups. Although overall, they're they're celebrating this decision as a win. So um, I'm not sure if that would happen. Um, and as you mentioned, there's this other Washington state, this you know, federal case in Washington state out there that the Department of Justice has asked for clarity. And so there are a number of different ways, uh, as I understand it, that it could end up before the Supreme Court. I think everybody thinks it's going to one way or
0: another. We got this question from Rick who emails the judge. He's referring to Judge Kassmerich in Texas is in for life and he is the only federal judge for his district. So anti-abortion rights groups can choose him for their cases. What is the possibility of expanding that court district and appointing a couple of more judges, thereby diluting his influence? Liz?
3: Uh, my colleague Steve Vladek at the University of Texas is actually thinking quite a lot about what we might do about single-judge districts as we're seeing them being used, particularly in Texas, um, to judge shop, not just a forum shop. Um, yes, yeah, so there are options to expand uh, districts to encompass Greater numbers of judges. Even having something like three judges would dilute the power of any particular judge to sort of manipulate, to allow plaintiffs to manipulate um, the likely outcome of cases they file.
0: So while the future of mifepristone access depends on court action, other states are still cracking down on abortion access. Last week, Republican Idaho Governor Brad Little signed a law limiting abortion related travel for minors. Sarah, walk us through the new Idaho law. What does it criminalize?
1: It makes it a crime for um, anyone to transport a minor without parental consent for an abortion. And effectively what that means is out of state because Idaho is one of the dozen plus states that has uh, prohibited virtually all abortions since the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court last summer. And this was pretty closely watched because there's an awareness, of course, on both sides of this issue that Increasingly, this this country is divided up. Uh, abortion access is really determined by where a person lives, and it's divided up by state laws. So, um, many people are who have the means or can uh, get the means are crossing state lines to get abortions. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh and his concurrence in the Dobbs decision, of course, he's a Trump-appointed conservative judge, but even Judge Kavanaugh uh, said that he thinks it would be difficult under the Constitution to prohibit interstate travel for adults. Uh, Minors, I think, are easier to regulate, and so that's what this law focused on. I don't think it's the first of its kind ever. My understanding is Missouri has a similar law in the books. Maybe some other states do, but um, but it is the first that we know of post-Dobbs. And, you know, increasingly, these these interstate battles are taking all kinds of different forms. And really, the abortion pill is part of that because abortion pills can cross state lines, mm-hmm. um, even if people cannot. Uh, so this Idaho um, law is significant. And um, it'll be interesting to see you know who it's applied to. It, it could even apply to, to, to other family members who aren't parents, for example.
0: Well, Liz, I mean, functionally, what does enforcement of a law like this look like? It's not as if you have people monitoring vehicles crossing state lines on every freeway and, and asking why are you crossing over into a neighboring state?
3: Yeah, I think the most likely scenario would be a friend of the family or say an older sister who takes her sister to uh, have an abortion out of state. Um, these And then the, the parents find out uh, and are angered by this particular decision. Um, I have to say, I mean, Practically speaking, we know that most girls who become pregnant do tell their families and do have the support of their families for the abortion decision. We also know that those who don't have that support are often victims of family violence or family sexual violence. So we're really talking about relegating minors um, to forced pregnancy and forced childbirth often after they've been uh, raped by a family member.
0: Well, also in Idaho, two doctors in a regional Planned Parenthood affiliate are suing over the state's interpretation of a separate anti-abortion law. Sarah, what's the issue of concern in that case?
1: Well, that lawsuit came in response to an opinion late last month from the state's attorney general who said that the state's abortion bans would also, in his opinion, prohibit Providers, abortion providers, healthcare providers, I should say, um, from referring their patients, including adult patients, across state lines for an abortion. Uh, Planned Parenthood, with the help of the ACLU, sued in federal court. Um, the, the Attorney General has since ruled back that interpretation. So um, I think we're seeing him back off of that, at least for now. But it is another indication of the stakes
0: surrounding these interstate issues and how uh, various states' laws clash with one another. Another subject of contention is the Federal Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. That statute is bumping up against state abortion regulations. Liz, explain what's happening there.
3: Right, uh the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act EMTALA as it's known, uh requires emergency room doctors to stabilize emergency medical conditions. Um and for people who are pregnant, this can mean uh serious conditions that threaten their health, um including uh Miscarriage, including premature pre viability rupture of the membranes, um, where the standard of care would be to offer to perform an abortion at that moment. Um, There is litigation um, in Idaho and in Texas involving the conflict between state abortion bans and the federal law, again, only for a narrow range of emergency care. In Idaho, The court concluded that the federal law preempts the state law and so that some range of emergency care required by EMTALA must be performed in Idaho emergency rooms. In Texas, by contrast, a district court ruled that EMTALA uh, was not so clear, does not require uh, emergency care and that the state abortion ban actually sets the contours of emergency medical treatment, which means that in Texas, only those emergencies that are life-threatening can result in abortion being provided at the moment, um, though the administration um, is appealing that decision at the moment.
0: We got this question from Christine who asks, could this attack on certain medications add more ammo to the war against gender-affirming care? Sarah, as you're watching this legal battle around abortion and mifepristone and the FDA's power, what are the broader implications you're also watching for?
1: Well, this goes back to this larger question about the authority of the FDA, the, the authority of the federal government to, to regulate um, I think certainly that's one of the concerns I hear coming up when I talk to activists it's uh, you know, what What does it mean if a federal court can weigh in and overturn the expert scientific analysis of the federal agency charged with making those types of analyses? Um, what other drugs, what other treatments might be affected? And some of the things that people mention are uh, transgender affirming care. Um, we saw the way that even the COVID vaccine was so heavily politicized. And so, you know, it's hard to predict uh, exactly where
0: this goes next. Well, as these questions continue to play out, we'll keep taking your questions. Always email us at 1A at WAMU.org or join our text club. You can find information about that at the 1A.org. And we're on Instagram. Follow us at The 1A Show. That was NPR national correspondent Sarah McCammon, also Elizabeth Sepper, law professor at the University of Texas at Austin and a scholar of religious liberty and health law, and Leah Littman, law professor at the University of Michigan and co-host of the podcast Strict Scrutiny about the Supreme Court. Leah, Liz, Sarah, always a pleasure. Today's show was produced by Lauren Hamilton and edited by Matthew Simonson. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.
2: Hey, it's Aisha Roscoe from NPR's Up First podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR Network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism, music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR Network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org network.
0: What's happening with NPR podcasts, money, power, tacos, white collar crime, green parties,
1: black reparations, more of the perspectives that make your world a more vibrant place. NPR, NPR podcasts. More podcasts, more voices,
2: all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts.